I want you to turn to the book of John with me, uh, John chapter 21. And uh, I've entitled this message. Uh, you know, Pastor Steve is huge on titles, and, and I just couldn't pass this up. I've entitled this message, Come and Have Breakfast. Amen? Come and have breakfast. That's a phone call or that's a statement that every husband wants to hear. Amen? Come and have breakfast. Amen? Book of John, chapter 21, verse 2. Say amen when you have it. How many of you actually have your Bible? Let me see your Bible if you have your Bible. Why don't you raise your Bible up? Amen? Come on. If you see somebody next to you that doesn't have a Bible, amen, tell them, where's your Bible? I personally have AJ's Bible. Don't ask how I got it. Amen. I have AJ's Bible today. Amen. John chapter 21, you have it? Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as that name, Nathaniel and Cana, Galilee, sons of Zebedee, they were all together. And, it said, and Jesus, uh, Peter said, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go out with you. So they went out, and they got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood out on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find, excuse me, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard this, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and there with fish on it was some and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even so many that the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let's pray. Father, we just love you today. I ask that your word would minister, your spirit would move and begin a transformation over these next few minutes, God, that would last a lifetime. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is a, a message in, in, I mean, I'm sad to say, but not really sad. This is a message that I could preach blindfolded. It's a message that throughout the years of my life that I have actually lived and experienced. And it's a message that I wish that I would have heard many, many years ago. It's a message that, that will change the course of a person's life. It's a, it's a message, it's a word, and even it's a story that's an awesome story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of coming back from failure. There's a quote that I want to read to you. It says, winning is great, sure, but if you're really going to do something in life, the secret is learning how to lose. Nobody goes undefeated all the time. If you can pick up after a crushing defeat and go on to win again, you're going to be a champion someday. If we're honest with ourselves, right, and it's important to be honest with ourselves, we suck at failure. <laughs> I mean, if we're honest, right, I mean, we, 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 we don't know how to deal with it uh, or we're learning how to deal with it. 
right? Uh, we, we're bad when it comes to decisions, and we think, where did that come from? Even further than our own mistakes, if we're brutally honest, us as Christians and within churches throughout, the, throughout everywhere, uh, we're predatory towards failure. Um, you know, we're, we're quick to point out an error. We're quick to jump on somebody for falling short of the way it's done. Now, Peter flat out failed. The Bible records this failure. Can you imagine if your last failure was recorded for all the world to read? Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be horrible? I mean, this is a disciple that, you know, Peter loved. I mean, Peter was Jesus' disciple. Not only was he Jesus' disciple, he was one of his main guys. And Peter, one of Jesus' main guys, blows it. He blows it, and he denies the same guy that changed his life. He denies him. Not only, not only does he deny him, it's recorded for all the world to see his denial. See, Peter, God had taken him from the fishing boats, and God had made him a man of God. God had changed his life. And where we tune in here in John chapter 21, you know, we tune into Peter's life, and we're going through a moment where we see that he actually is in, he's in a, I don't want to say a backslidden state, but he's falling. He's messed up. And we tune into that story right there where Peter, you know, he, though his thoughts are not recorded, we see that his actions are very, very clear. He was there. This former fisherman had returned to his fishing boat. This former, uh, uh, you know, person that, that did not follow God had returned right back to where he had started. like Almost like an alcoholic returning to the bottle. If I could sum it up, if I can just put it all under one, one statement, he was defeated, 100% defeated in his mind. See, let me explain something, and I want to explain over the next few, few minutes about failure. But, you know, there's a process to failure. Failure doesn't just happen. Failure comes in a process. And, again, I, like I said, I'm, I'm speaking a message that I, I can almost speak it blindfolded because you're looking at a person that hasn't just failed once but has failed several times. See, sin and failure is a process. It goes through three different stages. There's a sin phase, there's a guilt phase, and there's a condemnation phase. See, a sin stage is where you actually mess up. It's where the, the mess up actually occurs. And the guilt stage comes really, really fast right after that. And it's where the reality of your mistake sinks in. You go from the sin to the reality of the sin. And then lastly, you find yourself in a condemnation stage where your emotions take over and make you feel horrible for what just, what just happened. I mean, this is the truth. It's a process. Failure is a process. And Peter is in this process. We tune into the process. We see that out of this last stage of condemnation that most of us, including Peter, make some bad decisions, emotional decisions. Decisions that can spiritually kill you. See, Peter, he's in this bad situation. He's in condemnation. He just blew it. This was Jesus' main guy. And all of this is running through his head. The Bible says that Peter is hanging out with some disciples, six other disciples to be exact. See, this is some guys that were around him in despite of his failures. See, thank God for friends. Come on, tell the person next to you, thank God for some friends. 
you know, friends, there's a, there's a quote, and I love it. It says, your friends will believe in your potential. Your enemies will make you live up to them. See, thank God for people who love us for who we are and who we're not, who, and not who we're called to be. Amen? I'll say it again. Thank God for people who love us for who we are and not who we're called to be. Because the truth is that God has called us, and that is our goal. His calling is our goal. And we're trying to become that. But along the way, we are missing the mark, without a doubt. So you love the person, not necessarily the calling. Here's a side note. Let me throw this side note in right now. That, you know, this is why it's important to really get to know people. This is why it's important to really get to know your pastors, right? Because that way, when they have a bad day, or when they make a decision that maybe is a little off, you think, or maybe they say something crazy to you, you don't flip out. You don't say, but I thought you were my friend. You're a pastor. You're a leader. Why? What? See, you got to understand the difference. Your friends will believe in your potential, but your enemies will make you live up to it. See, Peter has surrounded himself with some friends. And even though he was making a bad decision, he still has some people around him. Now, on the flip side of that, let me just throw this in as well. You know, Peter decides to jump in a boat, and he decides to go back to what he used to be. And the six guys go with him. Right? See, listen, if you're a friend, right, and you you see your friend making some bad decisions, you might want to have some boundaries, friends. Amen. This is for all our friends. Man. Don't let your buddy get in the boat. Amen. He's a man of God. She's a woman of God. They're not a fisherman. Have some boundaries. Amen. So over the next few scriptures, we see how Jesus himself restores Peter and how Jesus himself deals with failure and we ourselves can actually learn from this process of how Jesus deals with failure how many want to get better at dealing with failure if we're going to grow a church I want to let you know something people are going to fail if we're going to grow in a ministry and grow in numbers and grow in in maturity you have to understand that you might even fail you might even go through this process so it's important to learn the restoration process this is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to be. We were in a city, this is not in my notes, but we were in a city last night, and, and I was speaking with Pastor, and, and we're in a city that has been torn by brokenness, torn by bad decisions, torn by, you know, by, you name it. And what it takes is somebody that understands this process, that understands how to love. So going through the process of restoration is what we're talking about today. And the first step in this process to restoration, whether it's your restoration or the restoration of others, it's understanding and listening to the right voice. Listening to the right voice. See, at this moment and this state of failure, you usually have three voices talking to you. You usually have three voices. You have your own voice, you have the devil's voice, and you have God's voice. All three of those voices will speak to you during that time of failure. All three of these voices are battling for your attention. Our voice, most times in our lives, it'll be reminding you of how you feel and telling you things that will benefit you or even protect you. It'll look out for you. This voice, though, it's an emotional voice. It, it, it base, it's based on self-logic. It's what, best, it's what feels best for you. See, Peter didn't go back to his fishing boat because he hated God. 
I'm sure he was sitting around, and after he blew it, thinking, what do I do now? You ever ask that? You ever been there? I have. What do I do now? I'm sure that his logic told him, well, you know where the fishing boats are, and you know you can hang out there till you figure some things out. I'm sure his logic told him that because that decision benefited him. But it also kept him away from people, people who might hurt him. And someone in this place knows what I'm talking about. See, it wasn't the right decision. No, Peter and every other disciple should have been together, regrouping and praying, even with Mary and the rest of Jesus' family. That's where they should have been. See, another voice that we hear during this time of failure is the devil's voice. The voice will be getting you to focus on all the wrong things, on all the wrong things, and to take your focus off of God and his promises and his ability. The voice wants you, it wants to bring blame. It wants to bring accusations and false ideas into your mind. Trip off this. The Greek word for devil is diablos. Sounds Latin, doesn't it? It's actually Greek which means a slander, a false accuser, unjustly criticizing you to hurt, making charges that bring down or destroy. See, the devil is not a name of a person. It is the title, much like a doctor or a lawyer or a foreman, and his voice will speak to you at that time of failure. It will speak to you, and it'll tell you how dumb you were to make that decision. It will tell you how you're not worth now as much, right? Sister Chella talked about that last week. It'll tell you how your calling is going to be affected now and how your brothers and the sisters in the church, how they're not going to like you as much. They're going to treat you different. Peter, without a doubt, was hearing this voice. That night on the boat, he was hearing that voice. See, let me point out something because I think this is important. Peter and not even any of the other disciples immediately recognized Jesus. Now, it's a common belief that after the resurrection that Jesus physically changed, right? It's a common belief. We see that, that, you know, there's different scriptures that confirm that something was different about him. We don't know exactly, but we know that, you know, because the scriptures are kind of vague about it, that he physically changed. So it's a possibility that that's why Peter didn't recognize him. It is a possibility. I have a slightly different opinion. I agree with that, but I have a slightly different opinion. See, when the enemy has had some time with your mind and your thoughts, it becomes very hard to recognize God in your life. It does. See, when you're in tune with God, when you're in tune with the right voice, you can see God in your circumstances. You can see God in what somebody's telling you. You can see God in what's happening around you, right? But when the enemy has some time with your thoughts, he has some time in your mind. Things are a little blurred. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, he comes to the shore, none of the disciples recognized him. None of them did. None of them did. Now, if I was Peter, right, and Jesus had been with me for three years telling me, in three days, I'm going to come back. In three days after they kill me, I'm going to resurrect. It just makes sense that somebody that's in tune with God would be looking for him to come back. They would be waiting for Jesus and any person that shows up, is that Jesus, right? But they didn't. He walked right up and it was talking with them. They didn't even recognize him. 
Trip off that. That's heavy, huh? See, the last voice that we hear of the three voices during this time of failure is God's voice. That sweet, sweet voice. God's voice will always tell you what is best and what is right. See, you know what most people expect? And this is the crazy thing, because I, I myself have fallen in this several times. You know, most people expect when, they, when, when God speaks to them that he's going to tell them something like this. My child, go dip yourself in Don Castro seven times. Then attend two services, fresh start, life group, lose five pounds, then your sins are forgiven. Not true at all. Amen? Not true at all. God's voice is so simple. It really is so simple. Because God, what he does is he shows up and he tells Peter, hey, you caught anything? And all of them say no, right? And what does he tell him? Does he tell him, here's the steps to come back to me? He says, no, try the other side, right? He tells him, throw it on the other side. And God's voice, when we're in that state of failure, is so simple. It comes something like this. Give your leader a call. See if pastor wants to go have lunch. You should go to life group tonight. That's usually how God's voice will come. It's simple, but it has a strong direction behind it. See, the next step in the process of restoration, the first is hearing the right voice. Hearing the right voice. The second is picking up the right identity. Picking up the right identity. Now, Peter does something that's baffling to me. It may not be baffling to you, but it's baffling to me. He puts on his clothes and then jumps in the water. Think about that for a minute. Okay? He puts on his clothes and jumps into the water. Now, if you think about that for a minute, it's like it should be the opposite, right? If, you, if you're about to jump in the water, if anything, you want to take something off rather than put it on. Now, fishermen at that time, they were like the workers of this time, right? They had like a garb or a uniform that they would put on while they worked, right? Some of you wear vests to work, right? Some of you wear uniforms. Same thing with the fishermen. They would wear kind of like undergarments, like a wife beater and shirts and shorts, right? If I had to put it in modern times, right? That's what they would wear, undergarments. And so Peter, right, he's in his fishing clothes. And he's there smelling like the sea, right? And right back where he started, back into who he was, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And at the moment that the disciple John says, it is the Lord, something clicks in Peter. He was, he was there and something clicks inside of him. Two things, I believe, clicked inside of him. The first is he was dressed inappropriately. He was dressed, it just clicked when he heard it was the Lord. He realized that he was looking and acting like somebody that he was not supposed to be. The second thing I believe that clicked in his head is that he needed to pick up and put on his true identity. The Bible says that he had taken off his outer garment. And now he was going to run into Jesus. And he had to return to the identity that Jesus had given him, not that he had given himself. And there will come a time in all of our lives including those of you that, that maybe have experienced failure or going through failure or going to go through failure, there will come a time where you will have to choose who you believe you are. You will have to face that. 
The pastor can believe it. Your leaders can believe it. Your spouse can believe it. They can call you. They can encourage you. But until you believe it, it does no good. It does no good. Can I tell you a story? I haven't told a story yet. <laughs> uh, I, I told my wife I was going to share a little bit. And so, you know, she's ready for this. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I came back to the Lord uh, about five years ago. And I was more than happy to give up drugs. I, I was totally, totally happy to give up crystal meth. I was done with it. I was happy. It was an easy give up. But one of the things that lingered in my life was cigarettes. Can I be honest with you? Amen. A cigarette stayed with me. For about a, almost two months, I would come to church. God would touch me. I would, man, I'd make the altar call. I'd cry. And then I'd go back and get in my car and smoke a cigarette. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. And so I was battling with this cigarette thing because, truthfully, I liked it. I, I mean, I used to smoke a pack a day. It's crazy, yeah. Pack of cigarettes a day. And so I would tell myself when the pack would be close to ending, I would tell myself, man, this is it. God, I'm going to quit. I'd get to that last one, and I'd go right to the market, and I'd buy another one. True story. True story. And so finally, finally, I, I mean, I, I asked God, and I told God straight up, I, I can't do this no more, and I need your help because I don't want to stop. But I know I need to stop because I'm feeling it inside of my heart. And so I quit. I quit. God gave me the strength to quit. And, you know, every day was a battle. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, the thought and even the smell of it would bring an urge to me. So I had been clean for about two weeks, three weeks maybe. And during that time, me and Erica weren't really, we weren't getting along. We weren't really seeing eye to eye at the time, but I'm, I'm trying to serve God. And I get a phone call one night. It was about maybe 10 at night, and I get a phone call, and, and my wife had been involved in, a, in an incident. Uh, she had gotten into a fight. <laughs> I know she looked sweet, right? <laughs> she had gotten into a fight. She had started a melee inside of a, a party, and there was a guy there that didn't like me. And uh, he thought he'd send a message to me by putting his hands on my wife. Yeah, I know, I know. Take it easy, take it easy. <laughs> it's over, guys, you know. So he'd put his hands on my wife, and so I get the phone call about 10 at night. Now, you got to remember, I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to make it. My beautiful wife calls me up <laughs> and tells me the story. And so, you know, I jump in the car, and at the time she was staying with my sister. We weren't even living together. And um, I head down there. And I came to the house with every intention on backsliding. I mean, it was... It was, in my, it was in my head. And I'm making phone calls. And I'm trying to set this guy up. I'm trying to meet him. And, uh, you know, I, I was stressed out, man. And uh, I think Erica regretted calling me. She told me that later. But um, sorry, I did not plan for this. So I step outside, right? I walk outside. And as I'm walking out the house, there's a pack of cigarettes on the table. And so I grab one. I'm going to use this wall as an example. And I grab this pack of cigarettes and I light up a cigarette. After two weeks of being clean, I'm smoking the cigarette, feeling like giving up. Just, man, I was done. I'm smoking this cigarette. 
and the Holy Spirit comes. It speaks to me. So what are you doing? What are you doing? This is not you anymore. As clear as you're hearing me, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, Eric, this is not you. This is not you anymore. I didn't even finish the cigarette. Threw it on the floor and I walked away and I said, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this guy anymore. I don't want to be this person, that, this identity that I thought I was. And I walked away. I said, I got to go. I got to go. And I went home. You know, you will have to make that decision on your own, who you're going to be. You will have to make your own decision. At that moment, I made that decision. I'm not this guy anymore. And even though I felt and I, I was weak, I, man, I'm not this guy anymore. And see, until you see yourself as God sees you, you will continue to put on that identity. Like I said before, people can call you and encourage you and pray for you, but you will become a victim of who you believe yourself to be. You know who God says you are? Listen, I'm going to read you something. This is who God thinks you are. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. John 15.15 says, I have called you friends. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, you're a new creation. Ephesians 2.10 says, you're God's workmanship. You're created for good works. Ephesians 1.4 says that you were chosen before the foundations of the world. Isaiah 49.15 says, he has not forgotten us. Romans 8.31 says, he is for us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. First John 3, 1 says, you are children of God. This is God's word. This is who he says you are. According to Romans 8, 38, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, any powers, nor height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. But until you believe that and walk in it, it will do no good. Your identity, you got to pick up the right identity. Peter just clicks. He clicks. He says, this ain't me, man. And some of us need to click today. You need to pick up your garment that you took off. Pick up your identity, man of God. Pick up your identity, woman of God. Peter just was there, and he just he didn't see nothing else. All he's seen was Jesus. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to just get out of this boat and I'm going to put on my stuff and I'm going to swim to Jesus. Jumps in head first. The third step in the process of restoration. We're talking about coming back from failure. We're talking about listening to the right voice. We're talking about the right identity. And the third step is a simple step. When you come back from failure, the third step is to respond, to make a move. Without a second thought, Peter jumps in the water, and he swims to the shore where Jesus was. See, this is the step that will either make you or break you. It'll make or break your comeback. 
It will make or break it because if you don't respond to God and make the move towards him, then you are choosing to stay where you messed up. You are choosing to stay down. It is a choice. Jesus came to the shore. He didn't come to the boat. Why? He had come to the boat before. Remember when he walked on water? It's because he wanted Jesus to, excuse me, he wanted Peter to respond. Peter had all he needed with Jesus on that shore. But he had to leave the boat to get it. He had to jump in to get it. See, we have some pretty dumb reasons for not responding, don't we? I mean, reservation is always available for us, but we ourselves hold back. We ourselves, we put up in as plain as possible. It doesn't matter how valid an excuse is, it is still an excuse. It is still an excuse. I love the fact that Peter lost all reserve at this moment. I really do. Because he didn't wait for the boat. He didn't know, he didn't know what Jesus was going to say, right? He didn't know if Jesus was even going to forgive him. But what he knew is that Jesus was on the shore. He didn't care what the disciples thought. He didn't care what was going on. He just knew that Jesus was on the shore. Bible even says that all the disciples got together and they got a net full of fish. They couldn't even pick it up. And Peter, instead of helping them, jumps in the water. They probably were mad at him, right? I would have been mad at him. All he sees is Jesus. See, this is where those of us that have been around for a while and who have already made it to the shore with Jesus, sometimes we need to repent. Because people come and we make it hard for them sometimes. I'm saying we. We make it hard for them to get back. Maybe because they didn't come dressed right. Or maybe because they're still a little bit worldly. Maybe because they got a lot of drama in their life, right? So we stop them from participating or we don't invite them out with us to places. And the only time we talk to them is to tell them what they're not doing right. But they're here in the water and they're trying to swim to Jesus. If you're here today, you're here in the water because something inside of you is telling you, is telling you to come it's telling you that there's Jesus at this shore, and you just need to jump in. God forgave us, and it, he's right there. But sometimes we make it hard. We make it hard. The needle marks on my arm had barely healed when Pastor Richard from the Spanish asked me to help him put together a drama. Do you know how that made me feel? I mean... It, it just blew my mind that he would even want, I mean, it just blew my mind. You know, that swim to shore isn't easy, guys. It isn't easy. But thank God for Pastor Richards and people that see other people in the water and go out to help them, to help them swim in. You got to make a move today. You got to make a move and get in this water if you want to come back from failure. See, what did Peter find on this shore? Jesus was having a barbecue. <laughs> he was cooking up some fish. He had some bread going. And there's a lot to this story. There really is. There's a lot more about the 153 fish. That's for another time and another message. But what I do want to point out is this, is Jesus extends an invitation to Peter. And he tells him, come and have breakfast with me. 
And at this moment, what Peter, what Jesus was doing, you know, he was letting Peter know that Peter meant something to him. He was meeting a physical need for Peter. He could have told him anything. He could have sat him down right at that moment and told him, hey, why did you deny me? What did you do? What was going through your mind? He could have did all kinds of stuff, but instead Jesus tells him, come have breakfast. Have a seat. He doesn't say a word. Not a word of Jesus's or Peter's failing. Not a word. <laughs> Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind as they were eating? The Bible doesn't record a conversation, does it? Not at all. But can you just imagine what was going on in Peter's head? Here he was sitting with the guy he had blown it with, blown it for. And there he is, they're eating fish, and Jesus doesn't bring up a word of it. He invites him to sit down. You know what Peter was given for his step, for the move that he made? He was able to feel the love of God. Love with flesh on it. That's what he felt. I'm going to tell a story, and then they can come to the piano. This is not a long message. You know, I made a, quite a few mistakes in my life. And one of the particular mistakes that I made, I'll never forget it, because what I'm talking about today became alive to me. It took me a while to understand it, and I'll explain how. But I had made a mistake, and I had went to... My pastor at the time, and I told him straight up, I made a mistake. I messed up. And he sat me down, and I'll never forget that day. You know, it's with me forever. You know, a lot of things were said, and I guess I was expecting him to be mad. I don't know what I was expecting. But I knew I felt bad. And so I was talking to him, and, and, you know, he told me a lot of stuff, and he prayed for me. But after all that, we're close out in prayer and he tells me, Eric, what are you going to do right now? I said, honestly, Pastor, I don't know. And he says, well, come with me to a baseball game. And I said, what? And he goes, come on, let's go. And I'm sitting next to this man feeling like garbage. And we're at a baseball game together. And, you know, he's like nothing happened. He's talking to me and I think he bought me a hot dog. <laughs> I don't know. But I felt his love. I felt it. About a year later, I had made some bad decisions. And I'm walking by the church. I didn't know they were having church. I didn't know what was going on. But I'm walking by the church. And I'm not doing good. And all of a sudden, out of the church, comes ready, Pastor Steve. I'd never seen him run. He's running comes out. He says, Eric, how you been? And I mean, I was, I was just ashamed. I just looked down and he's talking to me. And I did the landscaping at the church and he's talking to me about how the plants had grew and just, just talking to me. And again, I felt the love. I felt it. Years later, fast forward. Just come back to Christ. And God had spoken to me all I had to my name at the time was a little car Saturn God had spoken to me the world conference had just come up he spoke to me and told me sell your car you need to be at that conference and so I sold the only possession I had at the time 
And I ended up down there, and it was, it was a hard time. Because I was really trying to, I was trying to make it. I was trying. It was hard. It was hard. A lot of stuff was going on in my head at the time. But I was there. And I'll never forget that one day I came out, and I'm walking. And if you've ever been to the conference, you know it's really, really crowded. And, uh, and I'm at the stoplight waiting for the, uh, for the cars to pass. And a van pulls up. And a dude jumps out of the van. <laughs> I was still a little weary about that. Guy jumps out of the van. It's Pastor Stevon. Walks up and he gives me a hug. I don't even know if he remembers this. He was at the UTC at the time and he gives me a hug. He says, so good to see you, man. So good to see you. Because I just had to stop. Because I'm coming back to Haiti. Turns around and jumps in the car and takes off. And that's when it clicked. That's when it just clicked. This is where I'm supposed to be. Because the same love that I felt those other times, I felt it. This isn't something that was told, it was just I felt it. And I knew that God can restore, that God can do it for me, that all I had to do was be in the right place. I just had to do what I knew I was supposed to do. And I share those stories because I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that God's love is strong for you. It's strong for you. It's stronger than any love that we can display for you. His love is strong. It was strong for Peter. He was there cooking. And all he wanted Peter was to understand his love. To understand that he was real. And here today, that's what God wants you to understand. I could come here and give you theology and all kinds of stuff. But listen, guys, God loves you. And he can restore your life. God has brought me full circle. And his restoration power continues in my life. Not that I'm special, because I'm not. But God's love was so strong that it changed me. And here today, there's some people here today that need to be restored. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. There's a barbecue here at this altar today. And Jesus just wants to have breakfast with you. That's it. He's not asking you to return to anything. He's not asking for a big old plan. All he wants to do is talk to you. He just wants to have fellowship with you. He wants you to know that you're still his child. It doesn't matter what your week was like. It doesn't matter what happened before you walked in these doors today. God's forgiveness is here. He can restore all that has been lost, all that has been given away, all that has been taken. I thank God for that. And in just a second, I'm going to make an altar call. I want to open up these altars for some of you to have that breakfast with Jesus this morning. But there's other of you that I believe God is also dealing with you. Maybe you've been making it hard for somebody. I'm the first to admit that I've fallen in that before. And here today, we need to pray these people through we need to help people that walk in that door. We need to help them swim the shore. 
Because they're in the water, guys. They're in the water. Remember when you were in the water. Remember that swim and how hard it was. Well, it's that hard for them too. Father, I just pray over this congregation today. I know you've ministered your word. And I know your word is alive. There's some people that need to meet with you today, God. They need to feel your love. The love that Peter felt when you guys were sitting on that shore. Restore and renew today, God. I want everybody to stand. And if that's you, I want you to come to this altar. And I want you to have breakfast with Jesus this morning. Step out of your seat and come to this altar. It is your time to respond. It is your time to respond. It is your time to pick up your identity. It is your time to hear the voice of God and to respond to Christ, to respond to his love.